Welcome to Better Broadband with Clearfield. Welcome to this episode of Better Broadband, brought to you by Clearfield. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Now, on our last episode, we discussed what impact fiber-fed broadband has, and we discussed the barriers that exist for rural communities. Well, today on the podcast, we're talking about the partnerships between telecommunications and electric utilities that are really making broadband possible for rural America. So here to discuss are Sean Middleton, Freshel Engineer and Director of Strategy Operations with Finley Engineering, and Michael Wood, National Market Manager for Utilities at Clearfield. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Shelby, very much. Thanks, Shelby. Good to be here. So we know that providing broadband to rural America has its challenges, uh, simply from a logistics or infrastructure standpoint. So, Michael, what are the monumental tasks that companies face when trying to go at it alone for broadband? Well, you're right. There are a lot of moving parts, that's for sure. But especially if we're talking about electric cooperatives, for example, I'll never underestimate what they can accomplish when a cooperative is called upon to fix a problem. I mean, since the 30s, the co-ops have been the sort of we-can-do-it kind of companies. After all, they were the ones to electrify rural areas when power companies were unwilling or unable to do so. But when it comes to companies that are not traditional telecommunications providers, like co-ops and municipalities, you do have to ask, what's the level of fiber and networking expertise within the company? There are certainly parallels to constructing and operating an electric grid, designing and engineering an electrical distribution network, but there are also many, many differences. And many utilities have used communication networks for internal communications and especially for grid monitoring and control those smart grid applications. And many times that's not only the, the impetus behind a project, but often the sole justification for the investment. But you still gotta ask about the internal fiber and networking capabilities and the ability to design, build, operate and maintain a retail broadband network. Uh, you mentioned the communications. Um, so, you know, often partnerships emerge when two parties have complementary skills and, and they have a common goal. So some of the most compelling success stories have come from partnerships between telco and electric companies. So, Sean, can you tell us why are these rural utilities ideal partners for deploying broadband? Yeah, the interesting thing is electric co-ops already know how to thrive in a multi-consumer environment. They've been doing a one-to-many billion uh, arrangement for years. They're used to doing that with their electric infrastructure. And so having the back-end systems necessary to establish a new business model, uh, they're, they're ahead of the game on that. Now, the other thing I would suggest, too, is they have heard from their member consumers how important rural broadband is to them. And as a result, the board of directors for these entities are very motivated. They, most co-ops would pull their membership just to say, are we interested in broadband? Uh, should we be involved in broadband? And in many rural communities around the country, there is no other person in there. There's existing incumbent you know, may or may not have a, a rural broadband opportunity in the bigger rural towns, whatever you call that by definition. The rest of the areas are left in the lurch. And so cooperatives have that motivation. They've heard from the memberships something's got to happen. So you kind of marry that with this potential for a broadband and you've got a group of people that want to see something happen, know how to do this multi-billion environment 
And I should add this, they're used to seeking funding from governmental sources. They already know how to process that financing engine that would help sustain the, the building of something like this. So they're very well poised for this kind of thing. Michael, what is important to understand then when you're going or when you're considering going into a partnership like this? Well, I'm sure Sean would agree that everyone kind of needs to be on the same page, obviously. Who's responsible for for what, I guess? Yeah. Will the consultant help with uh, a feasibility study, help with that funding availability, applying for that funding, uh, federal, regional, state, and local? Uh, will the consultant actually manage the project or do, do some or all of the planning, the, the in- engineering, construction, um, installation, testing, maintenance? Um, and then Sean mentioned those back office uh, things. There may be back office upgrades because, as we know, customer care and billing is for a broadband customer is a little different than that for a electric utility customer. And like, like all projects, there must be a very invested um, executive sponsor. Uh, and then ability to kind of find that right balance between hyping up the excitement of gig speed internet and kind of controlling expectations. Um, These planning phases take time, as does the build out. And and we all know you can't build networks fast enough to satisfy satisfy that pent up demand. There is a lot of pent up demand there. And, uh, and so the, you know, the need for it is, is great. And, and so is, I guess, that urgency. But so Sean, in your role as an engineering consultant at Finley, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of some of these partnerships. So why are partnerships not a one-size-fits-all solution? Yeah, that's a great question. And and it really does, I mean, we could say they all have shared similar DNA. They're all electric cooperatives or have the same kind of uh, things they're trying to serve to their members, but they're all autonomous entities. They have their own board of directors. So they're and they're, I would say this too, based on regional considerations and other logistical things that involve a specific entity, they're going to look at the world in a slightly different way. So, you know, knowing that, knowing that uh, everybody's going to look a little bit different, that uh, we've got to deal with things in regards to how can they share some synergy. There are potentials for them to have that fit as long as you can find oh, the DNA between organizations that are going to be partnering together. And I think that comes from having a clear discussion on expectations right up front. And so when you you face the challenges, you know what's got to happen to make broadband come about. And you can lay the different steps out as long as you're explicit on each party's responsibility and role, you can make these things successfully work. But that's the thing where if, if I was going to call the ugly of a partnership, it's when expectations are not clear. And as a result, things fall apart. Also, Michael, um, looking at the the actual logistics of it, um, what are some uh, some of key operational issues to consider? What would you say are the most important operational issues that uh, to that people should be aware of? Well, there there are many, but I'll, I'll talk about a couple anyway. Um, first, Sean recently shared a story about uh, that heightened expectation of a broadband subscriber versus the typical electric consumer. Basically, the punchline was. I've got a generator, just get that internet back up. So <laughs> there's that back office customer care and technical service aspect and troubleshooting and maintenance uh, and those sky high customer ex- expectations. But uh, uh, another thing that's been talked about a lot recently is supply chain continuity. And by that, I mean that given the billions of dollars being invested in broadband infrastructure, there are already material shortages to go along with the tight labor market. So 
it's important to be sure your relationships and supply chain for communication products is sorted out, uh, especially since those products don't always come through the same distribution channels as electrical power products. And even if you have funding and have designed the best fiber to the home network and have the crews to construct it, it won't get done without the products to connect it all together. And we, we saw this, uh, the same thing back in the 90s telecom boom. So, so shore up your supply chain relationships early on. You know, what's interesting is the, the partnership model, and I use the word synergy, and I know that word can get overused. So <laughs> I digress on that point, but I, I love the term building something, you know, two plus two is greater than four. And, and the, the reasoning behind that kind of thinking is that if two entities are mindful of the end game and what needs to be accomplished, that each can bring something special to the table that the, you know, yoking the two together, so to speak, create something better than either one could have achieved on their own. I mean, there's some great examples. On the electric side, we've seen for years where co-ops would go together, partner, and have buying power by doing something as a greater than the, the entities individually could do. Well, in this case, if you bring, let's say, somebody with telco experience with an electric co-op that does not have that, but knows the lay of the land, the local logistics, and potentially has right-of-way, you can bring those things that would have shortchanged either one of them both benefit from that potential. I, I, it's very exciting to watch when this works and the two the expectations are clear to see them sharing those responsibilities and frankly, saving the ratepayer substantially by not having to reinvent the wheel and do things more than once, right. which is the end game. Well, um, kind of moving to, I guess, more uh, current events, I, I just read that House Republicans are proposing legislation that would promote competition by limiting government-run broadband networks and instead encouraging private investment. So, Michael, can you speak to the challenges that municipalities face when pursuing broadband deployment? Yeah, that's a good one, Shelby. Municipalities are another case altogether. The, I guess the traditional national telephone companies and cable companies kind of often aggressively block this progress as evidenced by what's gone on in Arkansas lately, as, as you mentioned. Uh, a congressional group was making arguments aimed at prohibiting municipalities uh, from owning a broadband network, and some might say on behalf of big telco. And this would have made the, the six years that our customer Clarksville Connected Utilities, for example, put in building a fiber broadband network, um, it would, would have put that in peril. Fortunately, the, the Arkansas governor signed a bill allowing municipal governments to build broadband infrastructure. So that's a good thing. But uh, similar things have happened over the past several years in places like Wilson, North Carolina, for example, and, and their challenges from a big cable TV multiple system operator. And Sean, when, when municipalities, you know, when they hear about this types of uh, legislation and, and hurdles that come along, how can an engineering consultant help navigate those issues. That's a great point because if you think about what a cooperating municipality entity is moving into with this kind of venture, is they're getting out of their comfort zone a little bit. And I know Michael kind of mentioned that just a minute ago. I, I view the consultant role as truly one that is helping fast track the learning curve. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole point of it. If you're you're paying for consulting time with an entity, you want someone that has been doing this for decades that knows how to help uh, save you headache. <laughs> so that's to me coming from a co-op background and now being in this consulting world, that's my main goal for a client is how can I help save them headache and solve challenges for them quicker? They don't need to reinvent the wheel that's already been done. They just need someone that knows 
how to get them to the finish line quicker and help them reduce their uh, own bloody knuckles along the way. How's that? (laughs) Bloody knuckles. I I think uh, that's something that everyone can kind of identify with and and people that have um, had embarked on these projects, uh, they probably will say they still have the scars to show from it. Sean, can you give us some tips for basically that organizations should be asking themselves as far as the know-how that they have in-house and what know-how they need that uh, they can possibly look to engineering consultants to help them with? That is a really good point. I actually get called on this one quite a bit uh, because the staffing concern is is that kind of consideration, especially one that's going into fiber optics. And I've, I've talked to many alignments saying, well, I, I work with electric cables. Fiber optics are much different. But it, what's interesting is stringing, strand and lash, messenger, and things like that are similar. So there's some synergy in that we know how to do aerial plant and we know how to put things together and make that kind of work. So the challenges I see from staffing and other perspective is, uh, one, you've got to handle the growth because what's amazing with broadband projects is once you build it, they will come. And it truly, it becomes a uh, snowball effect that once members of one area know you have it available, they're calling and others will follow suit very quickly. So staffing up from both a consumer service perspective and someone that can keep the cable in the air or varied correctly it is an interesting skill set to ha- keep ahead of. The consultant's role can help by with training and other things like that to determine if in-house you have enough assets to make that work or if you're going to need to hire out and bring in some other people that can be trained from the onset that can you can grow with. That's a really important piece. And Michael, as we uh, start to wrap up this episode, um, I guess if you were to put a headline on this episode and and what and consider what you want our listeners to take away from it, what would those points be? Yeah, find find that partner, find someone to help. Uh, there have I found that um, not only are consultants uh, excellent sources, but they can oftentimes hook you up with people who have already done it in your world, in the co-op world or the muni world, for example. Um, And nothing helps more than hearing the stories from uh, somebody successfully putting that together, as well as the, you know, pitfalls along the way. So that's, that's a huge part of it. And, and I I guess I can't say enough about that upfront planning piece either to, to really talk about the the feasibility and what your business plan is, what your intentions are, how many people are you going to connect? How many businesses? um, What are the expectations for take rates? Uh, what kind of growth are you planning for? The regulatory considerations are incredible. I mean, one of the benefits of uh, of a co-op, for example, is they not only have experience with outside plant construction and pull attachment or that make ready capability, but also owning built-in rights of way and easements to pretty much every building in the co-op's region. But there are cases, um, there was one recently in Virginia where uh, a company, a co-op scratched plans to build broadband out to its members because the landowner sued them, sued them because of electricity easements. They say right. that the easements were for electricity lines, power lines, but not for fiber lines. And if you wanted to run uh, fiber through their property, that was a different story. So laws vary from state to states. Um, and as we know, some states don't even allow co-ops to operate a broadband network. So there's a there's a lot out there to um, concern yourself with. And the more help you can get, the better. I'm just curious, um, from a, per, a public perception standpoint, and then from the the actuality, utilities 
Is what that landowner's concern, is that valid? I mean, are they truly very different or from a right-of-way standpoint, lines are lines in terms of the the access and the right-of-way needed? I don't think there's any difference at all. I mean, obviously, there's differences in how the actual uh, product is deployed. Sure. Um, but yeah, it that's one of the huge advantages as, as uh, you know, telcos, for example, are looking at 5G. One of the biggest things they have to worry about is how do they get Paul's Paul attachment uh, permission and, and easements and that kind of thing. So with the utility having it built in, that's a, a huge advantage. But uh, once again, if the incumbents try to get in the way of that, um, that, that, uh, that hurts everyone. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate all of your insights today. Michael and Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks very much. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Broadband, brought to you by Clearfield. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, I'm Shelby Skirhawk.